Jesus win the fight, bang, bang. He shot me down, bang, bang. I hit the ground, bang, bang. That awful sound, bang, bang. My baby shot me down. Again, I was singing Rose's Turn, not Bang Bang by Cher and Sonny. Hey, 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 hey. That's a great song, too. I'm just saying. This is a friggin' bop. Welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, where today we chose violence. I'm Carrie, codenamed Garter Snake. And I'm Ross, codenamed Boa Constrictor. And this week we are covering the 2003 Tarantino classic, Kill Bill, Volume 1. Oh my god, Quentin's here? Yeah. What? I can't believe it's taken us this long. (sighs) I mean, I can. I know. I can. I can (laughs) believe it's taken us this long. I know. Before we get started, don't forget, go follow us on Twitter at KickNStream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at kickingandstreamingpodcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, please be practicing the three R's. Rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet, folks. We want everyone to come and join our little watch party. All right, guys, welcome to Carrie Ann's second selection for birthday month. Oh, gosh, guys, I, this is my favorite Tarantino, and, like, I'm big excite for today. <sighs> Kill Bill by QET. <laughs> At this time, I'm going to issue a trigger warning for that good old-fashioned Tarantino violence, trigger warning for sexual assault, Trigger warning for child abuse. And exploitation. Yeah, exploitation at its worst. So, with that in mind, let's get started. Not too long ago, I was quite the professional. My friends and I, we were the creme de la creme in an exclusive industry. And we all worked for this man, Bill. Then one day, I decided to leave, settle down, and start a new life. But when I tried to get out, they did me in. Don't you ever wake up. I guess they should have tried a little harder. So I suppose it's a little late for an apology, huh? You suppose correctly. Now it's kill or be killed. You have every right to want to get even. Get even? Even, Stephen? I would have to kill you. And I choose kill. Mommy, I'm home. Hey, baby. How was school? One tick to Tokyo, please. One way. That woman deserves her revenge. And we deserve to die. No kidding, I heard it was kind of hard. Silly Caucasian girl likes to play with samurai swords. Yeah. Any more subordinates for me to kill? Hi. Hmm.
you didn't think it was going to be that easy, did you? For a second there? Yeah, I kind of did. Silly rabbit. Our part's over. Can I just say here at the top, um, Tarantino films, mm-hmm. I like some of them. I like some of them. Yeah. Um, I like this one probably best. Yeah. Like Same here. Um, but at the same time, we should all just remain mindful that Quentin Tarantino is just like a problematic person. <laughs> He's a great writer. Yeah. Great filmmaker. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I hate the, oh, let's separate the art from the artist conversation. But like, we can still value some of these things and then acknowledge their flaws. Yeah, for real. Like we should be doing with everything. But, you know, it's just, oh, Tarantino, I just, some of your choices, man. <laughs> I'm just like, why? He's a sicko. I know. He's a sicko. <laughs> like, I mean, creatively, he is probably the biggest sicko in Hollywood. I just... Mm-mm, mm-mm. The Kill Bill franchise itself plays with so many genres like martial arts, black exploitation, spaghetti western, thrillers, anime. If y'all never seen this, I bet that was the last thing you expected me to say. Well, you know, the whole samurai cinema thing. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of why it's my favorite Tarantino because it feels like a film that I would make. Mm. Like, I feel like in a lot of ways, this movie is his love letter to those genres that he adores. Mm. Grindhouse. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Grindhouse. (laughs) Roadhouse. (laughs) Grindhouse. That too. (laughs) Tarantino is on record as being a self-taught student of film. Yeah. Like, name a movie, he's seen it. It's probably the entire reason his movies are incredibly popular. He's been influenced by, like, so many directors. Sergio Leone, Toshio Fujita. And, like, of course he's not alone in this think tank. Like, Uma Thurman herself played a huge part in this movie coming to fruition. Like I think in the op- I think in the end credits they credit the whole idea to Q and you, right? Yeah. Quentin and Uma. Like the whole concept of the bride and her revenge story was a cocktail of their ideas and influences. Oh boy, a Miramax film. Yeah, I know. Like I like some Miramax things, but like hey, don't pretend we didn't see your names, Bob and Harvey. We saw you. I mean, Tarantino at least had the decency to all these years later to be like, hey, okay, I should have been way louder way sooner. Listen, the decency. I know, right? I, I, the I, bar is so low. The, yeah, but like, listen, he's worked with the Weinsteins since like the early 90s. Like, I feel like he should know. Yeah, I know. I mean, Uma Thurman herself. Was a victim. Yeah. And, like, he said that before 2017, he never knew the extent. Like, come on. I know. Like, we've also got um a member of the Wu-Tang Clang here on our creative team. <laughs> Music by RZA? Yeah, like, for most of the sound, the soundtrack, for the most part, is a cultivated soundtrack. Stuff that Tarantino specifically wanted hey. as the backdrop to his film. You know, I love me a good film soundtrack. Oh, I, no, yeah. I love me a good mixtape film soundtrack. You and I are big Ben Wyatt energy when he's like, a movie soundtrack is a mixtape from your favorite director. Yes. Like, ugh. 
<laughs> I hate it. I, I love it. I know. I, I, I love. I, it. I hate it and I love it about us. And the original and the rest of the original score was done by RZA of the Wu Tang Clan. Can you imagine? I mean, it's so cool. This movie grows to hundred and fifty million dollars. Yeah, like it more than what tripled its budget. It was gonna be originally a four-hour film, <laughs> but. Due to runtime, they decide, you know what, why don't we just cut this in half and do the rest of it next year? I mean, yeah. Which will bring us into volume two later on, but right here, we're talking about just volume one today. All right. Now, you might have guessed it, folks, but we've got names. Do we ever? Playing the bride today. Returning to kicking and streaming, we have Uma Thurman. She was with us when we covered The Producers. She's in Pulp Fiction, subject of that overplayed Fallout Boy song. Playing Bill today, the infamous Bill, the titular Bill, we have David Carradine. I've never seen him in anything else. I, I have no idea about David Carradine at all. Like, he's in some... He's from the 70s. <laughs> Sorry, he's from the 70s. He was He was in that show Kung Fu. Oh, yeah. In the 1970s. Literally, his character's name was Kwai Chang Kane. No. And I'm like, you're a white man. I don't, I don't want to, no, let's not do that. He's barely in this movie and his name is in the title. I mean, like, we we don't even see him, do we? No, not his face. He gets like the longest Miranda Priestly entrance ever. Playing Oren Ishii today, we have Lucy Liu. Uh, Listen, everyone's a huge Lucy Liu fan. Where do I know her from? I mean, uh, she was in the Charlie's Angels films with Cameron Diaz. Ah, ah, there it is. And uh, she's the star of Elementary on The CW, I think. Oh, she's Ling Wu on Allie McBeal. Yeah, I love her. She's also in one of my favorite episodes of Futurama. Well, you downloaded Lucy Liu. Are you just going to stare vacantly at her and not say anything? <laughs> I find your slack-jawed stare very attractive. Fill up, Jay Fry. Did you hear that? She likes me. I just also want to say she voices Master Viper in the Kung Fu Panda franchise. Yes. Like, okay, we get it. Playing Vernita Green, please welcome back Ms. Vivica Fox. Hi, babe. Please welcome. She was in our second coverage. She was here when we did Independence Day. Oh, my God. As Jasmine. As Jasmine. And she was also in Why Do Fools Fall in Love? And I looked at you last night. Do you remember what I said to you? Mm. I went, I forgot that Vivica Fox was in Ella Enchanted. Yes. Lucinda. Yes. We have to talk about that movie. I know. I love that movie. Playing Bud this week. Guess who's back? Oh, God. Michael Madsen. Hey, Bud. Like, whatever. <laughs> I'm sick of you, he but, was, like, he, here we are. He was here last week when we did Sin City. He's also in Reservoir Dogs. And he was in Thelma and Louise, which I forgot about. Playing the infamous L driver today, we have Daryl Hannah. Daryl Hannah? Yes. Oh my goodness. She was in Steel Magnolias. Shelby. No, she didn't play Shelby. Oh, I know. Oh, okay. No, she played, what's her name? What's her name? Oh no. This is part of the problem. I can never remember her name. A nail. Oh God. She's a nail. And she was in Blade Runner. She's in that movie Splash where she's a mermaid and she falls in love with Tom Hanks. She's 60 years old. I know. Today. She's a babe. Wow. She's also in Sense8, which is just, I couldn't even begin to describe Sense8 to somebody. 
Playing Hattori Hanzo today, we have Sonny Chiba. He, you might remember him from uh, Fast and Furious, Tokyo Drift, Master of Thunder. He's in the Battle Royale sequel. And he is a holder of multiple black belts in multiple martial art disciplines. Yeah, he is. Yeah. He's, he's a Tori Hanzo. Oh, my God. I just, I I, lo- I have a soft spot for him in this movie. He's just, he's a very great presence in what is otherwise a very harrowing narrative. Playing the deadly Gogo Yubari, <laughs> we have Chiaki Kuriyama. And she was in the first Battle Royale, which if you've never seen that, like, first of all, get over your fear of subtitles and go watch it because that's a great time. And she was also in one of the Juon sequels, Into the Sun. I love her performance in this movie. She's so small, but so scary. Yeah, yeah. Terrifying. Her presence just looms so large. Terrifying. And then uh, last but never least, we have playing Johnny Moe, the leader of the Crazy 88. We have Gordon Liu. He's actually pulling double duty this week. He's going to be back next week as Kung Fu Master Pai Mei, which is also a crazy scene. Uh He does so much great stunt work and fight work in this movie. I'm proud of him. Love it. All right, are you ready to get started? Yes. I like. like, like let's get through it. <laughs> Remember, folks, strap in. This is going to be a really long, violent ride, but it's going to be a good time. This is one of my favorite movies of all time. Listen, it's a great film. Just like, what the fuck? I know! <laughs> Our feature presentation thing is chaotic. Oh, I know. Where it comes from all corners and then meets in the middle. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm in the movie theater. I'm not, but like, thanks for making me feel that way. It's a tonal setter, right? Yeah. Before we get started, I'll just say one of Tarantino's like most signature traits is his nonlinear storytelling, right? Yeah. And I mean, hey, it's a great thing. I will say if you've never seen this movie before and, and you want to experience it the way Tarantino would have liked you to experience it, go ahead and give it a watch. We'll be here when you're done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and then you'll have some great visuals to go along with our commentary today. But for our purposes, the nonlinear storytelling is a little muddling. So I'm just going to front load this story a little bit before we get started. Kill Bill is the story of a woman who is known in this movie only as the bride. It's very mythical, right? Like yes. She's a folk hero or something. In another life, she was known as a member of one of the world's most deadly assassin teams called the Deadly Viper Assassination Squad. Sure. Her code name was Black Mamba, and her baby daddy, Bill, was the leader of the group. And when the bride got pregnant with Bill's child, she realized that this was no life to raise a child in, so she attempted to get out of the life. She fled to El Paso, Texas, met a nice boy. She's going to start a new life, get married. And on the day of her wedding, the Deadly Viper Squad shows up and massacres the entire wedding party. And these movies are the story of the bride's revenge against those who destroyed her life and the life of her unborn daughter. So I love that. I love the text that comes up on screen. It says, revenge is a dish best served cold. Old Klingon proverb. No, I've heard that so many times, and I didn't know that was a Klingon proverb. Like, what? If you're going to get revenge on somebody, why not let them think they've gotten away with how they've wronged you? 
like go on, have a nice life. And then just when they're enjoying themselves, you strike. And then we get Uma as the bride, right? I wrote, Uma, baby, you look rough. Oh, she's fucked up beyond all recognition. She's wearing a bridal gown. And, like, we're really close in on her face. I mean, yeah, we just get her face. And, like, this pair of cowboy boots walks into the frame. And we hear this guy kneel down next to her. And he puts this handkerchief on her face. And it's embroidered with the name Bill. Do you find me sadistic? I'll bet I could fry an egg on your head right now if I wanted to. Oh my god! I bet I could try and I bet I could fry an egg on your head right now if I wanted to. I, I mean, hate that line. Like just from the stress, could you imagine when anyone has their name stitched on anything? I'm unnerved. Oh yeah. Like when people have their name on their underpants, <laughs> I'm like. Why? That's got to be something that only exists in television and movies now. I know, right? Like, that's not a real thing, right? And the drama ratchets up real fast because he takes the gun out. And, like, you see the panic on her face. Yeah. No, kiddo. This moment. This is me. And my most masochistic. Bill? It's your baby. Oh my god. And then it cuts, but like a millisecond after you see the blood spatter, and I'm like, oh no, baby, Uma, not you. And then the song starts. I was five and he was six. We rode on horses made of sticks. He wore black and I wore white He would always win the fight Bang, bang, he shot me down Bang, bang, I hit the ground (laughs) I love when the title card comes up Chapter one Cross that out Two Yeah, ironically chapter one is called chapter two (laughs) What I wrote was chapter one No, two This is a revenge story, and every good revenge story has a list of targets. People who deserve the retribution of those they've wronged. And the bride has her own list. Tarantino decided to begin the revenge narrative with the story of how the bride takes out the second target on her list. Uh Uh-huh. We begin in Pasadena, California, and the bride has arrived at the home of Vernita Green. Vernita was one of the fellow assassins on the Deadly Viper Squad. Yeah, that like tore her ass up and wrecked her wedding. And like her code name was Copperhead. Copperhead. And like I like that's really cool. Uh-huh. But like now she's living this quiet little suburban life. Like their house is so archetypal to the point of being cartoonish. Like, it's so well-painted. There's kids' toys in the front lawn. There's a sign on the mailbox, the bells. And, like, we see the bride. She pulls up, walks right up on the lawn, knocks on the door. Vivica Fox answers the door, and we get that Ironside theme at max volume. No, that sound triggers my fight or flight. Sarah, I cannot believe you are early. So classic. I love it so much. I wrote, okay, just beat her ass. Oh, no, yeah. From the moment they lay eyes on each other, it is time to dust off the martial arts training. Shit's wild. An ass whoop on. 
Like, it's so quick, everything that's done. I don't even know. I almost You almost think that they shoot it really slow and then speed it up, but no. no. Like, they're doing all of this in time. Our babies are doing their own stunts. Oh, yeah! Like, I, I'm so, I, I can't believe, it's fucking, it's Uma Thurman and Vivica Fox. I'm like, this is badass. It's fucking wild. They destroy everything. Yeah, up front, yeah, they do in that front room. And, they are just kicking each other's butts. And, like, they are, like, finally they get to a point where they both have knives in their hands. And, like, they're facing off in front of that big bay window in the living room. Also, just uh, one of the first great examples of Greg Chalk composition. Oh, yeah. And, like, that school bus just moves. Moves into frame. Oh no, not a kid! Yup, Vernita's daughter, Nikki, has arrived home from school, and she opens the front door and sees them standing there on top of all the wreckage. Her mother has blood coming out of the corner of her mouth. They both do. There's glass everywhere, and I love how she just expects her to go along with it. Oh no, yeah! She's like, uh, mommy? And like, she explains it like the dog ruined everything. Like, the dog caused all this damage. Even the kid's like, the dog did this? Yeah, and she's like, this is an old friend of mommy's. I ain't seen in a long time. Hi, honey. I'm Mr. What's your name? Her name is Nikki. Nikki. Such a pretty name for such a pretty girl. That weird beep you heard was Quentin Tarantino bleeping out the bride's actual name. <laughs> no, I just, I want to call her bleep. Bleep? Because that's what it says in the subtitles. <laughs> Hi, I'm bleep. And, like, I I guess the reason he did that was, like I said, it, she kind of appears as a folk hero that way. Like, it's kind of hard to identify her as a person. And I love it when she's, when when Bleep asks her how old she is. And she goes, I'm four. I wrote, no, you're not. Oh, I know. You she, are older than four, young lady. She's huge for a four-year-old. And I'm like, okay, I love this scene because we've gone from trying to kill each other to calmly talking over coffee. <laughs> you want some coffee? <laughs> okay. All right, sure. We were just beating each other's asses, but whatever. Because the daughter's home now. We can't kill each other while the kid is home. Bleep has some respect for that, you know. So they go into the kitchen and start rehashing all their drama. And, like, Vernita is really trying to appeal to the bride's maternity. Like, she's invoking the innocence of Nikki, like, showing her a picture, like, don't do this to my kid. And she's like, bitch! Bitch, you can stop right there. Just because I have no wish to murder you before the eyes of your daughter does not mean that parading her around in front of me is going to inspire sympathy. You and I have unfinished business, and not a goddamn fucking thing you've done in the subsequent four years, including getting knocked up, is going to change that. And, like, I love how Tarantino loves to spring violence on us out of nowhere. Like, his scenes are really written as a roller coaster in pacing because, like, we're, we're talking, it's all calm, and, like, she's making the daughter some cereal, and she's telling the bride that her code name should have been Black Mamba. Yes. Like, and I kind of agree. I agree. Yeah, yes, yeah. I agree. She's got her arm in this box of cereal. Called Kaboom. Yeah, no, yeah, that's <laughs> what I love. It's called Kaboom cereal. She pulls a gun out of the cereal box. No, she shoots the gun through the bottom of the cereal box. You're right, you're right. Very funny. bad shot. She is. She went like way to the side it of the bride. Didn't even come close to her head. <laughs> and then the bride's like, nope. 
and then knifes her. Oh my god. Directly, right in the chest, kills that bitch. Oh man, it's so rough because she goes down to pull her knife out of Vernita, and when she stands up, Nikki's standing behind her in the doorway. Yeah, no, the, 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 the child, I don't know if we said her name. Her name's Nikki. And she's like, oh, well shit, I did not mean to do this in front of you. <laughs> yeah, no. It was not my intention. You can take my word for it. Your mother had it coming. When you grow up, if you still feel raw about it, I'll be waiting. I need to talk about this for a thousand years. Okay. Because I've always wanted a volume three in this franchise, right? Uh Uh-huh. And like, like much of the internet... I need it to be about Nikki's revenge story against the bride. Yes, yes. Like, if we're going to be all about restoring balance and justice and everything here, she needs to answer for what she did. Exactly. And just, like, Tarantino, look at me with both eyes, Tarantino. (laughs) Cast Zendaya, you coward. Hey, that would be great. Like, honestly, that would be the, I would pay out the ass for that. Chapter two is called The Blood Spattered Bride. So there's been a murder. Yeah. We, or multiple murders. Mul- a massacre, more like it. Massacre, yay. We jump back in time four years and six months ago in El Paso, Texas. And the El Paso sheriff shows up to this little church in the middle of nowhere where the wedding was going to take place. We got nine dead bodies. Oh my God. They've, the, the Viper Squad didn't just kill the wedding party. They killed the Reverend. They killed the Reverend's wife. They even killed the guy that plays the piano. Come on. Like, what the hell? <laughs> they killed bride, groom, Reverend, Mrs. Reverend. Mrs. Reverend. Oh my gosh. When the sheriff's pulling up, all those goddamn pairs of sunglasses on his dash lined up like they're for every day of the week or something. Like, I don't know how to qualify this, but he's an asshole. Like, even before he opens his horrible mouth, I can tell he's an asshole because of all the pairs of aviators. And they're like, well, I'd guesstimate this is probably mafia. Could be Mexican mafia. Who like, knows? they have no idea. They just know that it was a professional job. You can tell by the cleanliness of the carnage. Oh, for crying out loud. I hate this guy. The sheriff does this really fucking weird thing where, like, he's, like, sexualizing the, the the murder victim. Yeah. He leans over the bride. He didn't tell her she was pregnant. Man, that'd be a mad dog. She'd a goddamn good-looking guy like that in the head. Look at her. Hay-colored hair. Big eyes. She's a little blood-spattered angel. Here's the thing. She's not dead. No. She's just, like, comatose. Yes. And so, like, I don't know how real this is. I feel like it's real. But her body's doing this thing where it's involuntarily spitting. Yeah. Like, how much would you hate that? I would, I mean, I would hate it. Don't get me wrong. You but, know how I am about spit. But, but like, you like that she spits in his face. Of course, because he's being fucking creepy. Yeah. They get the bride to the hospital where she's put in the coma wing, obviously. Twisted nerve. Oh, yeah. This is where we meet L Driver, another member of the Deadly Vipers.
eye patch for me, uh-huh. right? I mean, I love me an eye patch on a villain. She getting. I love that the Red Cross is on her eye patch. I know, right? And she getting dressed up real sexy like a nurse. She's obviously here to finish the job that they didn't finish, yeah, right? She's coming to kill the bride. She's going to inject her with. I don't know. It's something scary in red. L Driver, codename California Mountain Snake. No, really. Okay, this is something else I need to talk about. California Mountain Snake. Like, all the other names are really cool sounding. Hers is California Mountain Snake. And it's like, really, Tarantino? After six characters, you ran out of cool snake names? Allow me. Cobra, Anaconda, Rattler. Python. Yeah. You see how easy that was? Very easy. But no, she drew the short straw on code names, California Mountain Snake. So um, Elle gets a call from Bill. Like, of Kill Bill? Yeah, no, really. Like, she's about to do the job. And Bill calls her and is like, you know what? Elle, you're going to abort the mission. We owe her better than that. Oh, you don't owe her shit! Will you keep your voice down? You don't owe her shit! We're not going to do this this way. Let's abort the mission. What? (laughs) She's so mad. We we deserve to do her better than this. Oh, you don't owe her shit. (laughs) I love it. Like, it's just so petty because, like, you can tell in those moments when she was going to give her the hot shot, she's like, it's no secret I never liked you. And now she's so angry because she doesn't get to kill her. When they're on the call and the shot, like, we never get Bill's face. No. Like, never. And I, the shot where he's talking to her on the phone, when it's cutting back and forth between the two of them, the sword groping. Oh, yeah. Where he's groping the samurai sword on the other end. And I'm like, not the sword groping. No, yeah. We, we get what you think of yourself, Bill. We like, could have a whole Freudian conversation about what the swords in this movie franchise actually represent. But let's skip that for now, shall we? So, yeah, Elle almost does it, but it's like, okay, I have to respect Bill's wishes. And she, like, stands over the bride and she goes, Thought that was pretty fucking funny, didn't you? Word of advice, shithead. Don't you ever wake up. Four years later. (laughs) Oh my god. Like, can you imagine? So obviously the bride is in coma, has been for four years. Her body is atrophied. She's got this metal plate in her head from where she got shot. Oh my god. This The trauma in this scene is so palpable because she just wakes up all at once terrified. Yeah, screaming. And like, she's remembering everything that happened to her. And you're right, she reaches up to her head and knocks on the metal plate. She's got metal in her head, no baby in her womb. Oh my god, the way she is sobbing, clutching her stomach when she realizes her daughter is gone. Like, I really believe her. It's such a necessary scene. Oh, no. Uma Thurman does a fantastic job in almost all parts of this. All the graphic violence that's about to take place, we need to know how important it is that it takes place. Well, you know, she has the orderly guy come in. Oh, God. And she pretends to be in her coma again. Despite all the incredibly graphic violence in this movie, easily one of the most horrible things is when we find out about the sexual assaults that have been taking place over the last four years. The orderly is giving this rando guy pricing 
Price is $75 a fuck, my friend. You getting your freak on or what? Oh, yeah, boy. Now, here's the rules. <clears throat> Rule number one, no punching her. Nurse comes in tomorrow and she got her a shiner or less than teeth, jigs up. So no knuckle sandwiches under no circumstances. And by the way, this little cunt's a spitter. It's a motor reflex thing. But spitter, no, no punching. He's taking money from scuzzbag men who want to rape unconscious women. It's so horrible. And, you know, when you realize all at one that, you know, you're actually alive, your baby is dead, and you've been getting sexually assaulted for four years, probably. How do you not completely become another person? Just completely mentally dissociate. So this guy's name is Buck, and I hate him. Yeah. And he leaves this latest scumbag alone in the room to assault her. And she's laying there playing possum. This creep climbs on top of her. And as soon as he tries to put his mouth on hers, she bites his lower lip off. Just completely off. It's great. I hate this for her, but she jumps right up to run away and finds out that she has no muscles in her legs. Atrophy. Oh, no. Yeah, no, she can't move her legs. And so she takes the pocket knife out of this scumbag's pocket and waits for Buck to come back. And when he steps into the room, she slices his Achilles tendon. Of course. And, like, she takes his clothes, the keys to his car, gets herself into a wheelchair somehow, and wheels herself all the way down to the parking garage. And she finds his truck. You want to talk about how she finds his truck? Well, I mean, she grabbed his keys and his sunglasses, by the way. I, I love that shot where she puts the sunglasses on. He's got this keychain on his keys that says, Pussy Wagon. Oh, my God. And, you know, guess what? It's not hard to miss the pussy wagon. No, it's got a matching paint job. It's a big yellow ram with pussy wagon painted on the back. In pink letters. It's so foul. Like, how desperate do you have to be to pay thousands of dollars to get your car detailed so people who you drive by know that you are a fuck hammer? Also, before she got out of there, she murders her rapist. Good for her. Like, that's, that's all I'm saying. Oh, no, yeah, I love that. She murdered two of her rapists. Love it. Hey. Take him out. Take him out. She gets herself pulled up into the pussy wagon, into the back seat. Is this the point where we talk about how Quentin is obsessed with her feet? That too. While she's trying to get her strength back in the cab of Buck's truck, the bride starts planning her revenge. And the very first name on her list of targets is Oren Ishii. When they knew each other on the Deadly Vipers, her code name was Cottonmouth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. At a time when I knew the least about my enemies... The first name on my death list, Oren Ishii, was the easiest to find. But of course, when one manages the difficult task of becoming queen of the Tokyo underworld, one doesn't keep it a secret, does one? Lucy Lou is here! I love Lucy Lou. Oh my god. Chapter 3, The Origin of Oren. Thank Gaia for small favors this part of the movie is animated. Like, I'm pretty sure the reason they did it was to placate the MPAA with the grotesque violence. But I'm glad they also didn't have to actually film any child abuse. This whole thing is done in this kind of anime sequence. It's done by a company called Production IG. Yeah. And I just love that they were able to have a hand in this pie. Like, it's just, it's such a visceral sequence with all of the blood effects and the emotions. Did they actually shoot it? I don't know. Or did, because like, obviously the reason that they made this whole sequence animated was because they thought it would be 
too foul yeah. to put on the screen yeah. in live action. But given the end of the movie, I feel like they didn't shoot it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Given the back half of this film and what it is, there's no way that they shot that and then decided not to shoot this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So basically, uh, give us the rundown on Oren Ishii. Oren Ishii was a Chinese-Japanese-American child born on an American military base in Japan, and she had a super rough go of it at the beginning. The half-Japanese, half-Chinese-American army brat made her first acquaintance with death at the age of nine. It was at that age she witnessed the death of her parents at the hands of Japan's most ruthless Yakuza boss, Boss Matsumoto. Ah, 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 not the Japanese mafia. Yeah, the Yakuza is basically Japanese organized crime. It's so horrible, they kill her mother and father in front of her. Graphically. Yeah, very, very graphically. And then burn her home down. And I think it's very interesting that Oren's story is not unlike the bride's, you know? Yeah, and they used to be close. Yeah, her family was murdered, her life destroyed, and she also vows to exact revenge. She swore revenge. Luckily for her, boss Matsumoto was a pedophile. At 11, she got her revenge. She butchers boss Matsumoto, and I have, I feel nothing. Yeah, I know. Yeah, of course. Like, Why uh, would you? No, absolutely. The blood. Oh my God. When she like stabs him and then like the blood sprays everywhere and her outline is like yeah. cl- clear on the wall. Yes. Oh my God. Listen, all I'm saying is the people in this movie have really high blood pressure. Oh, I know. Because the way it comes spewing out, <laughs> holy shit. Like a sprinkler. Back in the truck, we're 13 hours later, right? Yeah. And she's finally able to walk within yeah. 13 hours. Do you think it's patently absurd that no one would have discovered Buck's truck because someone had discovered Buck. Yeah, no, they, they must really not be paying attention at this hospital. Like two dead bodies in the coma wing and no one's called the cops. But she's finally able to wiggle her big toe and she gets out, gets in the front and drives the pussy wagon away. This brings us to chapter four, the man from Okinawa. Yeah, so she just like magically after, you know, you feel like her, you know, being a citizen, she's, you know, tracked. You'd think that they'd have record of her being in a coma. Yeah. But no, she's just able to get a ticket to Okinawa from Texas. Well, she was entered into the hospital as a Jane Doe, but that still leaves open the question of what resources is she using? Like, does she have a family somewhere? Does she have parents or siblings? Yeah, you're right. Like, where did she get cash from? It's just really difficult to know. So she goes into this little bar, right? Oh my god, it's I think it's a tea house actually. Oh, okay. And like she is fronting as a tourist. She walks into this little tea shop with a little Japanese man behind the counter. He asks her what she would like to drink. And before she can answer, he starts yelling at the guy in the back to start making the tea, but he doesn't want to because he's watching his stories. Uh-huh, like uh-huh. he's soap operas. <laughs> Shut up! Get your ass out of here! And I don't know how to qualify this, but they're gay. You think they're together? I, I think they are together. You think, you think they're together? You know, 
I love how, you know, like you said, she's feigning being a tourist and she's like, well, I only know a couple of words in Japanese. And he's like impressed by the amount of words that she does know in Japanese. It's very cute. And like he starts talking to her about her trip. Like, where do you, what's your business or pleasure? Is it your first time in Okinawa? And this is where she starts getting kind of cryptic with him. What brings you to Okinawa? I came to see a man. Oh, yeah. You have a friend living in Okinawa? Not quite. Not friend? I never met him. Never? Who is he? May I ask? Hattori Hanso. And like he drops the knife that he's using. And he's like, what the fuck do you want with Hattori Hanzo? She's here to see him. Yeah, because he's Hattori Hanzo. It's so funny because she strolled in here like she just left Sunnybrook Farm without a word of the language. And then starts fluently speaking Japanese with him. And I'm like, oh, so you can speak Japanese. Yeah, and for a lot of these parts, we're going to have to maybe deliver some of the lines over the dialogue because they're in Japanese. Not a visual medium. No subtitles here. I'll leave that to you. Yeah, no, there's a lot of great lines in this this part that I don't want y'all to miss. She tells him that she's in need of Japanese steel. She wants like a really fancy, expertly made katana. And like Hattori Hanzo is in this narrative, a master sword maker, Uh expert in martial arts and blade combat. He's Bill's former mentor. That sword we saw Bill groping Hattori's the one who made it. Some real shards of Narsil shit. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) I'm kidding. If Hattori Hanzo sounds familiar to you, that's because he was a person who existed. I don't have time to go into all that lore. He was a military man and a ninja and all sorts of other stuff. I'll drop a link in the description. Go check that out. I love this part of the movie because up until now... Hearing about the assassin way of life and everything, it all seems very crude and devoid of heart. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And there's just no feeling of pride or honor tied up in this way of living by the sword, living by the gun. And this scene really gives the bride's mission this undertone of honor and justice for me. Like there's this profound respect that she has for Hattori Hanzo and his craft and how it's influenced her life. Yeah. And, like, he takes her up to the part of the shop where he lives, and he shows her this wall of perfect katanas. She's just in awe of them. (laughs) She literally is like, gimme. I know, right? (laughs) Like She's, like, looking over her shoulder, like, asking if she can hold one, and she does, and the music is great in this part as well. Uh (sighs) Uh-huh. she obviously has for this weapon as a work of art is beyond endearing. Yeah, yeah. And this is where the bride is very upfront with him. Listen, remember that royal fuckhammer former student of yours? Yeah. Bill, I'ma end him, and I want to do it with one of your swords. So make me steal or give me steal. Like, either or, I, I need steal. Here's the thing. Hanzo has vowed never again 
to make a weapon of death. He's like, I'm retired. I can't. I'm just, oh, I'm going to go take a nap. But as soon as she tells him it's Bill, he's on board. And I just love that. He's like, you can stay here. It's going to take me about a month to make this sword. So he makes the sword. A month goes by like that. Yeah, and like she spends the whole time training, beefing up her martial arts skills. And I love the scene where he presents this sword to her. Like, it's just, it's very ceremonial, and the music is great, and he has amazing lines in this scene. He says it in Japanese, but I've written it down. He says, I've completed doing what I swore an oath to God 28 years ago to never do again. I have created something that kills people, and in that purpose, I was a success. I've done this because philosophically I am sympathetic to your aim. I can tell you with no ego this is my finest sword. If on your journey you should encounter God God will be cut. Oh, 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 God himself, huh? I love that so much. And just the... the that, that is big confidence in the power of your craft. And like, I mean, hey, it is just, it's such a great tone setter for the rest of the movie. Because I'm, I'm going to tell you now, the rest of this movie is one big fight scene. And going into this ridiculously long fight scene knowing that she has like the power of God and anime on her side. Yes, yes. It's so friggin' cool. So we go from Okinawa in because this is chapter five. Yeah, chapter five. Showdown at the House of Blue Leaves. So we're going from Okinawa to Tokyo. I love the travel montage to Tokyo and the green hornet theme going off like a motherfucker. Yes. One ticket to Tokyo, please. Obviously, Oren Ishii has become the Yakuza boss of Tokyo. Yeah, she's like the boss of bosses. She's like the president. Her and her little motorcade. Yes! And like, during that whole Green Hornet thing, I'm like, oh my god. Also, I, this whole movie, I've loved the fake-ass plane. The little, to- the little toy plane they filmed every time she travels somewhere. Oh my god. And just, I love Oren as a character, Like, not only is she incredibly deep for us in this movie as, like, our final boss, having gotten all that backstory on her, but, like, the way she conducts herself as a Yakuza boss is so interesting to me as well. Very Clint Eastwood. Oh, yeah. Like, you stay mostly quiet and then remain terrifying. Or, like, the warden in holes. Oh, God. This meeting. So, there's this group, this Yakuza group. They are called the Crazy 88. Yeah, they are like her personal militia, her personal gang. These are her people. And we meet a couple of other characters as well as them. Uh, First, we got to talk about Johnny Moe. Yes. The bald guy in the black suit and the Kato mask is Johnny Moe, the head general of Oren's personal army, the Crazy 88. Johnny Moe is really good. Like I said at the top, all of his stunts and his fight work, I love to watch it. The It's like you said when 
during the Patriot when Jason Isaacs and Mel Gibson were fighting, like how you believe them. Yeah. Like, I really believe Johnny Moe. Indeed. We have Gogo Yubari. Yeah. Who is Oren Ishii's personal bodyguard. The young girl in the schoolgirl uniform is Oren's personal bodyguard, 17-year-old Gogo Yubari. Gogo may be young, but what she lacks in age, she makes up for in madness. She's a teenager. I know. Like, she's only like 16, 17 years old. I want to know what happened to Gogo Yubari in her past to make her want to join the Yakuza. I bet it had something to do with a man. Probably. Of course it had something to do with a man. And I don't mean a man that was nice to her. I mean a man who brutalized her. That friggin' scene... When she's drinking sake at the bar and that guy is sitting next to her hitting on her. Yeah. Like, we can't play you what she says because it's in Japanese, but he's basically saying some really lewd things to her and she just sticks him with her sword. Yeah. It's so graphic. I'm terrified. Yeah. And don't forget about Oren's, I don't know, she's like the consigliere. The pretty lady to Oren's right, who's dressed like she's a villain on Star Trek is Oren's lawyer, best friend, and second lieutenant. The half-French, half-Japanese Sophie Fatal. <laughs> Another former protege of Bill's. So we're at this meeting, right? We're celebrating Oren becoming the leader of the Yakuza. And I guess, I didn't know this was a thing at all, but I guess at least in this narrative, there is uh, bad feelings among some members of the Yakuza bosses. Boss Tanaka, in particular. Yeah, he is not a fan of the fact that she is not a full-blooded Japanese woman. And uh, also not a fan of the fact that her lieutenant is not a full-blooded Japanese person either. Like, he, I guess he's just a nasty purist, and he... He literally refers to them as half-breeds. Yeah, it's really ugly. Not only, I bet, does he not want to take orders from her because she's not full-blooded Japanese, but also because she's a woman. And like everybody else is like clutching their pearls at how he's openly speaking about the disgust that he has for them. That one boss who literally whips out his fan. Who screams in Japanese and then whips out a tiny little fan. And I'm like, you are all of us right now. And like literally, he calls them a perversion of their illustrious council. And like Oren, admittedly, gives him an opportunity to properly explain himself. <laughs> what perversion do you speak of? And, like, Boss Tanaka does not hold back. He says, I cannot get over the fact that we have made this group, a group I love, more, more than, than my, my own children. children. I cannot believe we have disgraced them by making a Chinese Jap American half-breed bitch its leader. Oh my god. This happened so quickly. It's amazing. She runs across the table, draws her katana, and cuts his head off, and the blood gushes like a geyser. The rain of blood. And everybody's like, ah! <laughs> Oh my god. And then I love how she gives this next little bit in English while Sophie Fatale translates. Oh, she's getting real serious. And I love how she starts out so courteous and so kind in her tone of voice. If you're unconvinced a particular plan of action I've decided is the wisest, tell me so. But allow me to convince you, and I promise you right here and now, no subject will ever be taboo. Except, of course, the subject that was just under discussion. The price you pay for bringing up either my Chinese or American heritage as a negative is, I collect your fucking head. Just like this fucker here. 
このファックやろうと同じようにね。I remember the first time I ever watched this, and this was the moment I was like, <laughs> I was just like, oh my god, I collect your fucking head. The dead look behind her eyes. <laughs> it's,、uh, it's actually my favorite moment in the movie. Oh, absolutely. I collect your fucking head. Now, if any of you sons of bitches got anything else to say, now's the fucking time! I didn't think so. So I don't know how the bride knows, but she knows that Oren and her people are going to be enjoying a night of entertainment at a place called the House of Blue Leaves. And this scene is pretty much going to take us through the rest of the movie. At the beginning of it, you look around and you go, This is a nice place. It is a nice place. It's too bad it's about to be the site of a horrific massacre. Like,、uh, everybody's having fun. We have a band called the Five, Six, Seven, Eights. They are actually in the movie making a cameo appearance as tonight's entertainment. And guys, you know the Five, Six, Seven, Eights from Vonage ads. That old rockabilly tune. And I'm like, why do I have a sudden urge to change my phone plan? <laughs> God. A lot of great music in this. Forget the fact that O Ren and her crew are an actual crime family who belong in prison. Oh, wait, the two people. Yeah, the two people who are running the House of Blue Leaves. Yeah, they are mistreating the staff. This poor guy, this poor bald guy in the yellow kimono, they're calling Charlie Brown. Because his pattern on his kimono looks like Charlie Brown's shirt. It does, it does. And they're like treating them like royalty. Because, like, like, I think they're married or something. They must be together. And、yeah. she's like, listen, we cannot fuck this up. Like, we have like the biggest crime boss of the city here. Like, we have to treat them right. We will do anything they want. And, like, I, I, I cannot stand people who mistreat staff. Like, you, if you. The, They're murderers, I, Carrie. I understand. I understand <laughs> that we have bigger fish to fry、They're、here. Professional murderers. But that is enough reason to get the brunt of the bride's anger, okay? The Yakuza is always welcome in the House of Blue Leaves, but also the bride. Can we talk about the yellow tracksuit for a hot second? The yellow, the black and yellow getup she's in. Like, guys, if you ever wanted to get me a hot fit. Like, I've always wanted me a bright yellow tracksuit like that. Where did she have time to number one, find this? And number two, find the yellow and black motorbike to match. Oh, I know. And then she's got a, a leather motorbike suit to match those. I know. Like, where did she have the time? Hey, I mean, hey, she's got a job to do, but she's going to look fly while she does it. She's sneaking around in there and she, like, gets close to the room. Where the crazy 88 are hanging out,、mm-hmm. she gets just close enough to the door, and like Oren senses like a disturbance in the force <laughs> and like throws a dagger、uh-huh. through the wall. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And like it nearly misses the bride. It's crazy. And I'm like, bleep, watch out. <laughs> We also forgot to mention that Sophie Fatale. Was also associated with Deadly Viper Squad. Oh, yeah. She was their lawyer, too. She was there the day that the bride was almost massacred. Uh huh. Sophie is like her first priority when the bride gets in there. Yeah. She takes Sophie hostage and then she goes to the center of the restaurant and calls Oren out in front of everyone. Oren Ishii! Oren Ishii! You and I have unfinished business! Oren Ishii! 
Oh, the music here. <laughs> the dramatic camera zooms. This is fucking great. This is the genre stuff I fucking love. Guys, she's so excited. Oh my god, like the hand. Do you see me right you now? You are hand flapping right now. <laughs> You're ready for this carnage. Oh my god. Oh shit. She. <laughs> the bride slices Sophie's arm off. And again, we have like a full on fire hose of blood. Of all the things in this movie that can make me uncomfortable, I don't know why, just watching her suffer oh. and everyone just staring at each other while she is writhing and screaming on the ground. And like the way that the whole restaurant gets the bleep out of Dodge. <laughs> you started laughing so hard. <laughs> because like she starts moving forward towards Oren and Sophie's like writhing around on the ground and everybody is still as ice. And then they just go, Everybody runs out at once. They get McReady real fast. So, Oren says, tear the bitch apart. <laughs> she sicks the crazy 88 on her. And even though they're the, called the crazy 88, there's only like five or six of them here at the beginning, right? Yeah, yeah. And she takes them all out. She plows through all those goons. And then Gogo, it's like Gogo was waiting for her entrance, waiting for her cue. She arrives at the top of the stairs holding this spiked mace. Yeah, this ball and chain thing she's got going on. And I just, I love how casual she she is. She's just like, oh, you're gonna fight me now. Go, mm -hmm. go. I know you feel you must protect your mistress, but I beg you, walk away. <laughs> you call that begging? <laughs> you can beg better than that. <laughs> The mace versus the katana, I can't call it unfair, but I can call it one-sided. I mean, you can call it unfair. <laughs> I think you can call it unfair. Well, Absolutely. Why do you think it's unfair? She gets her a couple of times. Like, Gogo gets the bride in the chest. Oh my god, well, she hits her in the chest with that mace and, like, knocks her backwards over that table. <laughs> And the blood coming out of her mouth. Yeah. I feel it. I felt it hit me in the chest. Like, I was like, ooh. Because, like, up until now, the bride's been doing superior. Yeah, like just fighting she, people with blades, she, right? She has killed everything that's come across her torso. Like, like how, how do you literally fight something that is swinging around with all the centrifugal force that a little assassin in a schoolgirl's uniform can muster? <laughs> The blades that come out of the mace are just cheating. Yeah, no, like, that that's that's not fair. And, like, Gogo gets her to the point where the mace chain is wrapped around her neck, and she's choking the life out of her. Yeah. And, like, these are actually Tarantino's hands pulling on the chain. Oh, my God. And choking her. I, it's a little weird for me, 
but I guess... Because he's obsessed with her. Yeah, but I guess he just wanted to take personal responsibility for that. So if anything bad happened, it would be his fault and no one else's. Gotcha. Which I get that, I guess. The bride, it's so bad. She's actually, like, popping behind the eyes. And the bride sees this plank of wood on the ground that's got nails sticking out of it. Yeah, because they've broken so many chairs and tables in the process. And just smashes her in the side of the head. Ugh, the blood running out of her eyes. Oh, it's so great. That's the end of Gogo Yubari. Next, we have the bride and Oren just facing off. And there's like, all right... I'm ready to go with you. And then... (laughs) The cavalry is in! You start hearing all of these motorcycles, cars, pulling up outside. This is the Crazy 88, baby. Is that what I think it is? You didn't think it was going to be that easy, did you? You know, for a second there? Yeah, I kind of did. Guys, this becomes a friggin' free-for-all. A hundred men with samurai swords come in. It just gets nuts. She is, like, facing off by herself with all these men. This is, like, just Oren, I think, just trying to tire her out. Yeah. Before they get to each other. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm sorry, this isn't fair. This is not a fair fight. You don't think there's a lot of honor in this. Well, I mean, for the Yakuza, I'm sure there is, because they're protecting the boss lady, but... Not for Oren, though. No. You think she's kind of hiding behind their, uh... Yeah, I think that this is stupid. I think that she should just face off with the bride. I mean, it's not stupid. I love that it's here. It's beautifully shot. Oh, my God. Beautifully done. And this is another part where it gets so violent that we have to placate the MPAA. And, like, we come to the point where she snatches out that guy's eye. When I wrote, th- when I saw that, I wrote, what the fuck? Like, okay. And now everything's in black and white. And like, I love it. There's so much. This, no, yeah, it, this is almost like a musical. <laughs> like this, this whole sequence, I don't know how long the entire battle sequence is between her and the Crazy 88, but there's like three different songs that play. Uh-huh. It changes from color to black and white and back to color. That friggin' song that was also on The Office, the no, 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 no. Yes. And then, like, there's so much strategy involved in how this is choreographed because it's obviously one against at least 60. And then you have that sequence where they, like, they go upstairs. Yeah, she takes them up the stairs so that they all have to funnel towards her. Uh And she can handle a few at a time as opposed to a bunch. And then we have that weird blue stage thing going on. Yeah. Where they're silhouetted against the blue backdrop. I feel like the Yakuza Youth Squad was called in here. Yeah. That last group of people she fights, they all look like teenagers. And the last one definitely is a kid. I love it. The lights come back on and she... She sees that he is a child. And he like throws his hands up and he's like, please don't kill me. And I love how she bends him over her knee and starts swatting his ass with her sword and goes, This is what you get for fucking around with Yakuza's! 
Go home to your mother! <laughs> Go home to your mother! <laughs> and he runs out. And I... I I love the shot from the balcony down onto the whole main room, and it's just covered in men writhing around in pools of blood and moaning and screaming. And I love the lady boss of House of Blue Leaves is running around in the middle of all of them going, ah, ah. And I, She's, like, sliding on the blood in her heels. <laughs> I'm like, I, I, I wrote, feel so bad. I wrote, oh, this is bad for business. <laughs> <laughs> so now it's time. Oh, yeah. It's time to go after Oren Ishii once and for all. This was funny because the bride walks out of the back door of the House of Blue Leaves and out back is this lovely little Japanese Zen garden. And there's a light snowfall. Light snowfall? Everything's covered in snow. And you looked at me and you went, oh, I'm sorry, is it winter? Because <laughs> it was not winter before when she was out and about. I just... But that's because this whole sequence is an homage. It's a film called Lady Snowblood. Uh-huh. And it's it it mirrors I well what I should say is is that Kill Bill heavily mirrors Lady Snowblood in a lot of ways. Oren to begin with is very much like okay bitch it's my turn. Yeah. She thinks this is going to be a quick business. Indeed. Because any regular human would be completely tired out by this point. I mean all her people are gone. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'd be feeling a little scared, too. Guys, I'm about to get full-on goosebumps here. Mm -hmm. Because there's this slow shot of O-Ren taking off her sandals to fight her. And then the clapping from the soundtrack starts. This is a song called Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood. Nina Simone. Yeah. But this is not Nina Simone. They don't include any of the words. They just use the backtrack. And it's so excellent. It's a band called Santa Esmeralda. Yes, <laughs> I love it. And listen, I'm sorry, it's boring. No, I know what I, you Like, mean. the most exciting part is the music, but, like, just these outrageously long shots of them just staring at each other. Yeah, the bit where they're sizing each other up goes on for far too long. I have in all capital letters, would someone hit someone, please? Yeah. But, like, that's the thing. We've, we've never been in a sword fight before. I bet who throws the first hit has a lot to do with how the rest of the fight goes. Mm -hmm. O'Ren cuts her real deep there at the beginning. Oh, in the back? Oh, yeah. And I love this line. She goes, Silly Caucasian girl likes to play with samurai swords. You may not be able to fight like a samurai. But you can at least die like a samurai. Little Caucasian girl likes to play with samurai swords. I mean, that's what I've been thinking this whole time. I understand. <laughs> I totally understand. And, like, the bride is just, she's not going to be cut down. She says, attack me with, with everything, everything you, you have. have. And the music vanishes again. Like, we are just fraught with tension over the two of them and the space between them. And I love how this fountain that's nearby in the garden is a character all its own. Yes, because the, the one that keeps filling up and dumping. Yeah, the bride, like, cuts her, and there's this prolonged silence in the background, and you hear that fountain go thunk. 
Like, oop, still here. Like, the the hurt look in Oren's eyes. Like, oh my god, I can't believe you just did that. <laughs> and I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? She's like, you know what? I'm sorry I made fun of you. Like, there's this weird respect here. I hate it. I know. Just like, kill each other. But, like, I just... Do you remember how the bride looked at her there right before the end? Like, asking her... Are you ready? Yeah. Like, I really feel, I think the bride, I don't think she liked doing that. No, because they used to be close. They used to be friends. Like, out of all the people on her hit list, it's Oren with whom I think- She was closest. She yeah. was. She feels the most uh, regret about having to kill her. Yeah. Like, Oren's still responsible, but I just think that she hated to do that to her. Th- this next part is so anime, I, I can't even. <laughs> they clash with each other. And the bride strikes the killing blow. And the top of Lucy Lou's head goes flying across the garden and lands in the snow. She scalps her. The definition of scalped. Lucy Lou just is staring ahead. Yeah. And she goes, that really was a Hattori Hanzo sword. To her knees and down. And oh I'm like, god. oh my god. It's so anime! You love it. I know you love oh it. It's great. And with that, she crosses Oren Ishii off her death list. The first one, though. Yeah. That, like, can you believe that was the beginning of it all? Yeah. And that, because I mean, she knew it was going to be the hardest one. Yeah. Oren had the most power behind her, the most skill. And I, I just love it. I love the I love the idea of knock the hard one out first. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so, uh, we didn't mention it, but Sophie Fatal is still alive. I don't know how. She is missing a limb, but she is still alive. She lost so much blood, I don't know how she's alive. Uh, the bride wanted to keep her alive to make sure that uh, she could take the news back to Bill. The news that the bride is awake. And she is out for revenge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, I love it. She puts Sophie in the trunk of the car. Yeah. And drives her to a hospital, but like doesn't even get up to the hospital. She's like on the road above the hospital. And throws her down the side of the ramp. And she just rolls into the ambulance bay. Bill comes to the hospital to visit Sophie. And she tells him everything that happens. And we get more uh, narration in Japanese from Hanzo. <laughs> Revenge is never a straight line. It's a forest. It's easy to lose your way. To get lost. To forget who you are. That woman deserves her revenge. deserve to die. I love how this movie's ramping it up here at the end. It's really getting us ready. It's almost like a next time on uh, yeah. Kill Bill. Yes. And I just remember how it ends? Yes, I do. Bill saying to Sophie. One more thing, Sophie. Is she aware her daughter is still alive? You have fucking goosebumps right now. Roll credits! <laughs> Holy fucking 
you, your hairs are standing up on your arms. I love this movie. It's so beautifully done. It is great. Oh. They, 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 they do a grand job. I'm just like, ugh. Tarantino. Oh, I know. Why do you have to be so good, Tarantino? Why do you have to be so weird, Tarantino? <laughs> and guys, if you haven't seen it before, this is the part where I give you the bad news. If you want to know what happens to the bride, if she gets Bill in the end, you'll have to join us next week. Yes, because folks, next week we are covering the 2004... <laughs> Genre action film, Kill Bill Volume 2. Yeah, you really didn't think we were going to just leave you hanging with that, <laughs> did ya? Like, God, I couldn't go, like, another year without finding that out. No, no, And, like, I've just, I've got so much energy now. I just, we've got to get through it. I and, can't wait for September. Oh, my God, I know. You're going to put me through so many things, and I'm not going to care one bit because I'm, I'm having so much fun this month. And I'm having so much fun having so much fun with yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I don't like action movies normally, but I just wanted to put you all through some of the ones I do like, and it's just, it's been great. And, I mean, guys, we'd never do it actual justice. Go watch the movie. Absolutely. Like, it's amazing. Like, Quentin Tarantino made it a certain way so you could experience it a certain way. And I just, it's always worth a watch. <laughs> Grindhouse. Don't forget, folks, go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at kickingandstreamingpodcast at gmail.com. That's with an AM, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, be practicing the three R's. Rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet, folks. We want everyone to come join this little watch party and see all the ways Carrie Ann is making me insane this month. More quality content coming to you from Kicking and Streaming. Until then, I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And as always, sorry, sorry Mom. Mom. Got the news, got the news, got the news.